Good evening. If you have a Bible this evening and you want to read along where we'll take a reading tonight, we're going to look in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. The book of 2 Peter chapter 3, and I don't know how long we'll go in the reading tonight, um, but I want to consider these scriptures this evening as the Lord might have us to. And... Um, title of our message tonight is Your Response to God's Revelation. Your Response to God's Revelation. If we strip back what we're doing here, all the social constructs and relational constructs, about an organization meeting, and you see my relationship with you, whatever that might be, and our relationship with one another. Um, in its most simple form, at the heart of what we're saying tonight and why we gather is that this church believes, I believe. That there is a truth about things that you cannot know unless God tells us. And it has to do with the most important things in life. About events which have happened in the past. About who you are. What you are. Why you are here, and ultimately, as is, I believe, the fear of all men, what's after this? And I believe I know the answer to that. Now, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? But I believe it not because I'm a prophet, not because like some religions have contended that an angel appeared to me and gave me tablets and some special revelation that you're compelled to trust what I say and follow me as some cult leader. It's not that at all. But it's this belief that God has revealed to the whole world answers to life's greatest questions. And I feel in my own heart a special calling to tell people. There's a a prophet that says rightly often how I have felt of the desire through discouragement. What you many of you have felt is to just give up. He says, but you know, there was a a fire in my bones, a burning to tell people. Because people, I believe, genuinely want to know answers to many of these questions. Tonight, I would ask that you would listen to what's spoken, not because I'm speaking it, because God has revealed something to you. 
He wants to reveal something to you. And that's kind of what it, the book of Peter is talking about. This, this end of this book, this last chapter as we call it, is, is kind of revealing this dynamic. The very thing that we're doing here and what we're talking about here is the very thing that Peter is talking to these people about. He says in the first two verses, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which we were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And so basically what he's saying here is that there was a group of men who were given direct revelations by God about these truths. About things that at some point in your life, you're going to have questions fester about inside of you, convict you, bother you, and which will drive you at different points of your life through fear or whatever other emotions that might rise up, you're going to want to know an answer. And Peter is writing here that, thank God, God has given to us the message and revelation of those questions within us. And what is at the heart of these revelations? Well, there's a lot, but I'm going to condense it very quickly. There is a God. Number one. There's a God. All of this was not made by things that you can see or comprehend. There were no gases 15 billion years ago that came together and exploded. And then over billions and billions of years, they all organized themselves into ecosystems and and, and, and all these different explanations that science might give. But what God's revelation has told to us unequivocally is that there is a God who created everything. And he created you. And you are different than any part of God's creation. You are not a cluster of cells. You are not simply a bunch of chemicals that work together that are somehow perfectly conducive to human life. You are more than that. And the Bible tells us in the beginning that God breathed into human beings and we became spiritual, eternal beings. And that part which makes you unique above all creations of the world is that you have a living soul. And because of that, listen to me, you matter. You matter not only to those that love you, but you matter to God objectively. You matter. Every person matters to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That everybody matters. And because God created you in this unique way, a spiritual eternal, enlightened being. 
He makes you accountable to him. Now, in our culture, people like rights without responsibilities, privileges without duties. There's no world where that exists. I'm thankful that I'm not a base creature that, yes, doesn't have to get saved, but then has no meaning and no afterlife. As difficult as the road for some are to seeking God for salvation, you might think, you know, I wish I could have just been some creature that did not have the same accountability to God. But listen, you don't want that. Because though you're deprived of the responsibilities of seeking after him and being made right with him, you're also deprived of the greatest glories a being could ever experience. You are accountable to God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter what time in history you were born. It doesn't matter if you're important in the eyes of the world. Every human being is responsible to God. And yet the Bible reveals this travesty. And yet I would contend we don't even have to appeal to the holy revelation of God because it's self-evident to us that for whatever we're made accountable to God for, we've missed the mark. Now, that's the definition of sin. And I love, the Bible is endlessly deep, and yet the truths can also be so simple that they can be grasped by even the most simple of people. So you and I are responsible for hitting the mark to God. But it's, it's not a mark. It's marks. Millions and millions of marks. Or otherwise, you and I are responsible for doing in thought, in word, in deed, in action and everything about us, in our character, we are responsible for doing everything perfectly. And God has laid out in his word, and God laid out in the Old Testament, this countless number of rules and regulations and expectations or little marks that I think in my mind of these of a dartboard and there are in throughout our lives millions and millions of dartboards and you're responsible every moment of every day in the stewardship of your life in hitting the bullseye every single moment of every single day and yet even the most pagan non-godly non-Christ believing person can recognize in their own conscience I have failed to do that and I fail to do that every day I mess up I miss the mark every day and one of the themes of the scriptures is to pronounce that is to announce it worldwide to let you know you're not okay you're not a good person 
Or as the world will say today, I remember listening to a president speak in front of the UN, in front of all of the world, and he said, you know, we have wars and we fight with one another and we have various cultures, but down deep, way down deep in the human heart, man is good. And I thought there couldn't be a greater lie toward the mankind than that. You are not good. You're not. I'm not going to try to convince you of that because you know that. And so the Bible teaches us as part of the revelation of God. That in lieu of your missing the mark, your sin. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Made under the law. You know what that means? Made responsible for hitting the mark. He too was not one that came detached from the demands of mankind, but rather God came in the flesh, the word that God became flesh and he dwelt among us and he was subject to the same rules and expectations that you are. And yet day in and day out, listen to me how miraculous this is of the millions of dartboards that he was responsible for hitting a bullseye with day in and day out with thought and with deed and with all the things that were required of us. Jesus, every moment of every day and every situation hit the mark every single time the perfection of Jesus Christ is probably not spoken by us enough but it is extraordinary isn't it try to go an hour without sin try to go 15 minutes without an impure thought you can't you can't even come close If I locked myself away in a room for the rest of my life by myself with no external temptations, I would probably sin more than I do now. That's how sinful you and I are. But Jesus, God in the flesh, as people would try to play games with these dartboards, And they try to say, well, you say that's the bullseye, but it's not. That's the bullseye. And you and I both have been put in these morally hazardous questions, haven't we, where we're trying to discover what is true, what is right. And in our fallen state, sometimes we're so sinful that we can't even delineate what is true and right and what is wrong. And so people were constantly trying to confuse him and trip him up, and yet Every single time, Jesus was perfect. And then here's part of the wonderful revelation of God. So think of it like this. You have a scorecard, and he has a scorecard. And his 10 million bullseyes to zero. And yours, zero bullseyes to 10 million misses. Well, you're accountable to God. And because you're accountable, everything, every time you missed, every single time you miss, you have to pay for that. There's a penalty for that. 
And the Bible says this, He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Or in other words, he was made to be the one to have all the misses. And we were made to be the ones that were righteous if we are in him. How do we know that? God has revealed it to us. Isn't that wonderful? Like how, like, I know it's, it's so simplistic in this arrangement that we're so conditioned to just, this is just part of our lives. And many of us, from as early as we can remember, we grew up in a Christian nation and we had Bibles in our homes and we grew up in Sunday school. And all we know is these truths that I'm explaining. And yet, are they not just incredible that you and I have these truths that we would never otherwise know because God saw fit that it be revealed to us personally? And very often, God has accommodated our needs in even sending his revelation. What do I mean? You know, there are some people that you and I just don't jive with. There are some people that we just won't listen to. And yet, God, condescending, has often sent different men and different women and different people to share these truths with us in a way that we could comprehend and trust those people and receive them. Here it tells us in these first two verses... There were these men that God sent to reveal. And then it tells us how people respond to that. So I want you to ask yourself tonight, if you're lost, how do you respond to God's revelation? Like, listen, you may not, I might not be your flavor of presentation. I might not explain things in a way that are conducive to your understanding. You may have an odd against me. You may not like me at all. But set all of those things aside and rather consider for a moment the contents of what God has revealed to you and the trustworthiness of that truth. Here's what it says in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So it identifies that there are, as the revelation goes out, we all know this, just common sense tells you this. People receive God's revelation different. So let me ask you sincerely tonight, how do you receive the gospel? Like as Brother Brian was up here last night, as I get up here week in and week out, as evangelists come and they preach the gospel, as your parents from time to time might privately sit on your bedroom bed and say, hey, what's going on with your soul? Where do you stand with the Lord? And they inquire and they ask, and you know about these people that are here that our intent is love. You know that. We love you. We're not trying to grow the church roles. We're not trying to coerce you into doing something you don't want to do. Listen, we love you. And we reveal these things and are strenuous. We we go to great lengths to do it. Listen, I find more anxiety in my life from trying to present to you the unadulterated word of God than anything else I do in life. 
And I know these preachers that are here tonight are the exact same. Because I don't want to contaminate it even unintentionally. I want you to just get his revelation. To have it in your heart. And how do you react to it? Well, man, what Brother Reynolds said last night, was that not bold? I'm going to kind of make you go, ooh, ouch. Right? That some people, essentially what he was saying, will hide by their age. You know, they'll say, well, I'm not lost yet. Or they'll hide. I've told you the story before about going to a good friend of mine who was a barber the day before I got married and he was giving me a haircut. And it's this rough cut place that's just full of people in the ghetto who, who, who just the conversation that goes on there is not appropriate things for people to hear. And yet I just ask him a simple question. Hey, Chad, have you ever been saved? And the barbershop room goes quiet. And he says, well, what do you, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, what do you mean? I'm Catholic. I'm good. So he tried to hide behind his affiliation with religion and good works. And that's what people often do today. They hide behind, but I'm good, you know? I'm a good person. That's not what God says. And I bet if we were to dig deep enough, I bet if we were to ask the awkward questions to you, just you and I were sitting in a room and I started asking you some questions about the fidelity of your mind, I bet we'd reveal a whole lot of things you don't like to talk about. How do you respond? Do you hide? Do you try to... You know, there's so, there's so many... There's almost an endless amount of ways that we can hide. Some people do it through their personalities. They're quiet. And I had students in my classroom. When I was a teacher, I'd have 30, 35 kids in a classroom. And, and I recognized that some kids learned the trick that they could slip through the cracks. Like as much effort as I would put in not to let them. 30 kids in a room, multiplied times six classrooms or six classes, 180 kids. It's inevitable. I'm going to have kids that slip through the cracks. And all often they learn they had to do is just to be quiet. That they were never the, the one raising their hand. They were never the ones who wore bright apparel. They were never the ones speaking up. They were never initiating conversation. They were never doing anything wrong. All they did was come in every single day, sit quietly and hide right in the middle of the open. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're friendly enough. Maybe you're nice enough. Maybe you're passive enough. But listen... Don't hide from the truth. Some people act to God's revelation like Adam and Eve. They hide. What do other people do? Well, it tells us here in our text what other people do. Some people, they scoff. Now listen, I know that sometimes I can get up here and I may misspeak. You know, I may make a, a clown out of myself from time to time with my expressions or with the way that I move or say something or, you know, and, and you can walk away from a whole sermon and let that silly one second remark or one second movement be the defining 
thing that you get out of our entire gathering. And you know you are overdoing it. It's just a way of hiding. Some people scoff. He said that would happen. He said in the last days, I think these are the last days. I don't think, I feel like I know these are the last days because God's revealed it to us that these are the last days. So, these are the last days, and in the end, there'll be scoffers that come. And here's what they'll try to do. They'll try to use our own words against us. But they willfully ignore certain truths in order to do that. That's what he says here. Before we move on to that, in verse 5, I want to talk about one other thing that people do, and that is nothing. You know, some people, when they hear God's revelation, <clears throat> there are some people who are so passive, they never want to take a team. So if you ask them, what party affiliation do you have? They say, I'm an independent. They say, what team do you root for? Well, I don't, I don't really have a team. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about religion? Well, they're all, what does the bumper sticker say? Coexist. They're all equal. Everything's the same. And maybe the logic is this. Hey, if I don't offend any God, if I don't step on, then maybe whoever is God, once I get to that in the afterlife, maybe that God will see that I never spoke against him, that I never said anything against him, that I never did anything to offend him, and that he'll allow me into whatever version of paradise is actually real. And so people take this mentality, I'll just do nothing. Last week, West End, we took one parable of the stewards. And there were three people that were given different amounts of talents. And one man was given a whole lot of money. One talent was a whole lot of money. And the Bible says, here's what he did with it. He took it and he buried it. And then when the master came to call him to account, why? Because he was accountable for what he had been entrusted with. Listen, you've been entrusted with your soul, which has more value than 10,000 talents. You've been entrusted with you. And with that, you are responsible to God. And this man took his talent and just did nothing. He did nothing wrong in his investments, but he did nothing right with his investments. And when the man came back, he called him a wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You could have at least done something, the bare minimum, that I might have got something because you already know that I am a God with expectations of you. How does he know that? Because the master had revealed it, that he had expectations. Because the master's character was one that was known to him. I've said before, the most dangerous thing to do in all the world is to hear the preaching of the gospel because you become accountable. You can never go back from not knowing. You are responsible for everything God reveals to you. And so doing nothing is doing a lot of something. Did you hear me? Doing nothing is doing a lot. Because if your teacher hands you a paper and says, do this, and you do nothing. Are you going to be in trouble? Absolutely you are. There's, if the green light says go. And you do nothing. 
Guess what? You're breaking the law. You're responsible for what you've done, and that is nothing. And when God has commanded all men everywhere to repent, and you refuse to repent, you're going to hell responsible for what you do not do. Some people laugh. I've had friends that, when I was younger come hear me preach. And they would laugh at times, and I'm sure it was a little strange to see your friend doing that. Maybe that's what they were laughing at, I don't know. But I'd always try to get past all that and just say, well, yeah, what did you think about what was said? You know, and a couple friends would just kind of poke at it a little bit and laugh. I didn't really take that personal. It just bothered me on their end. Like, you know you're afraid to die. So when I'm talking about death, why are you acting like it's some funny thing? But if you're willfully ignorant like these people, like you pretend. See, these people were saying, you know what? Things have, there's been people saying this all along, and yet it's been this way since creation. And he says, no, 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 they're willfully ignorant of that because it has not been this way since creation. There was a day and a time where the world was different, where there was water up in the sky, and where that fell and it destroyed the earth, and everything about the earth changed. And yet, they are willfully ignorant of that fact and use that error to justify their lack of movement today he tells us in verse 8 he used that example of the flood and he tells us in verse 8 but don't be ignorant of this so God or rather we're given revelation and yet we're given the chance to respond to that and people scoff and they hide and they do all number of various things So then the question is, when God sees you doing what you're doing in your rebellion, how does God react? And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? So I have this type of a personality, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, okay? So don't take it as a good thing. I would say it's not a good thing. If I am trying to help someone, and they need it, and they know they need it, and I know they need it, so I try to help them, and they just know. Now, sometimes I'll say, well, maybe they were just in a mood, maybe whatever. I'm going to try again. Try again. You know, then it comes to the third time. They rebuff me. Sometimes my sinful attitude is this. Well, fine. Get what you deserve. I would find that was not a very good thing as a teacher to have that kind of an attitude. Because many of these people are lost and they're confused and they're adolescent and they're immature. And what they needed was somebody who was long-suffering and patient. Someone who was willing to turn the other cheek over and over. Forgive seven times 70. Go the extra mile. Some of these kids had, has a, had certain circumstantial handicaps that necessitated love compelling their teacher to go beyond what human nature screamed at me to do. And what we find in the heart of God is that he is not a vindictive, angry God that says, fine, you're going to get what you deserve, but rather God is long-suffering to usward. 
How many testimonies in this room could be given of you standing up and saying, you know what, I, there was a time where I heard the gospel and I laughed at it and I mocked at it or I didn't care and I rejected it when I was a child and I got out in the world and yet God came looking for me out in the world. God came seeking me in my sin. I was deceived and I was comfortable in my deceit and I was proud that I did not want to reveal as Brother Brian was talking that he had been deceived or he had deceived himself and that he was really lost and yet the pride in his heart said no you can't confess that no you can't do that and he rejected time and time again the offer of the gospel but listen God is long suffering to us isn't that wonderful isn't it wonderful that young person you can pretend that God is not bothering you listen I remember what it was like I don't go there often But sometimes I try to remember the mindset and heart set that I had when I was lost. I can remember plenty of times, plenty of times, where the gospel was convicting me. And I rejected it. I didn't look at it like that. I didn't call it that. But in its purest stripped down form, my answer, my reaction was a rejection. Because when God called Rather than obeying him, I chose not to seek and surrender. The Bible tells us about God's reaction to our rejection of him. See, what these people say is that all of this, so essentially we're preaching this, you know, that there's an end of the world coming and there's an afterlife. And say, so yeah, we've heard all that before, but things have always been the same since their very beginning and Preachers before this have said that, and listen, that was a hundred years ago. There's recordings of preachers preaching on the end time saying, any day now, any day now, and it's been a hundred years. And the Bible reminds us something about the nature of God, and that is a thousand years to him is like a day, and a day is a thousand years. Or God does not get affected by time the way that you and I do. He does not look at things and say, well, it's been a while. I've slept a few months. I've done a few things. God doesn't function like that. He's altogether different than us. Because a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And then it reminds us, here's the reason why God delays. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You know, with my kids... Sometimes I'm just slack concerning the promises I make to them. I don't want to be, but I am. I know I am. You know, I'll say, yeah, Judson, I'll play baseball with you tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and my schedule gets all hectic. And then at the end of the night, I'll say, Dad, you said you're going to play baseball. And I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. First thing tomorrow. First thing when you get up. And then I fail again. And then again. And again. You know why? Because I missed the own marks that I set even for myself. Isn't that crazy? I can set my own target to my own advantage, and I still miss the target. That's how sinful that I am. But the Bible reminds us something about God. The thing that we call time, and the thing that we interpret as His delay... It's not because he's slacking. God knows exactly what's happening in this very moment. 
but rather, it says, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What an extraordinary truth. Why does God delay? You know, I, I hear people say that, you know, I just uh, read a news article today that said that in China, President Xi had the Bible edited. And it was edited to make Jesus a killer. That, you know where the adulterous woman in John 8? Where Jesus says that you among you that have first sin cast the first stone. He had that part rewritten to where Jesus is the one that picks up stones and murders her. You believe that? You say, man, that, think of Thomas Jefferson back in the 1700s. You know what he did, right? He had the audacity to take scissors to the Bible. So he'd say, you know what? No, that miracle, that just, it, it tarnishes the whole book. So let me just cut it out movie come out, I haven't seen it yet, called Sound of Freedom. A lot of news gotten. It's about human trafficking. From every valid source that I've read, it just shows the depravity of this world in a whole new lens. You hear things going on in war. You hear things going on in North Korea. You hear things going on up in Russia. You hear the atrocities that have happened throughout world history. And we say in our understanding God why are you waiting don't you want to put an end to this suffering oh but we have it all mixed up because listen this suffering that people endure is but for a moment here and so of all the things that you and I or the most atrocious things that people down through history have experienced is nothing into comparison to if God at this very moment wraps up all of human history and all the billions of people that are unprepared to meet him. If they go to the destination and they, and they go in the condemned state they're in to their eventual place, lost friend, if God comes back tonight, you're going to be in a worse form of suffering than what anybody in this life has ever known. And so why is God long-suffering today? To prevent you from experiencing that. He allows, he tolerates the worst form of human suffering in mankind today to prevent your eternal suffering in the afterlife. And so we as Christians, we... And in one sense, we say, Lord, this is the worst hell we're ever going to experience. Please come and redeem us. Please come and take us. And yet our prayers, our utterances are, are, are stopped on our lips because what we know is that that would be the case, that yes, we would be called out of this as misery, as much misery as we might experience here. It is nothing in comparison to what our loved ones will face for all of eternity without hope. Without hope. You know, I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about hell a lot. A lot. I've thought about hell. I don't know why. I've just, I just have. I've just thought about hell a lot. And the hope part is what always gets me. That's always what just... Like, 
I'm sure your minds have gone there before. You've read a book from World War II and the concentration camps, and you've put yourself in the main character's shoes, and you've thought, well, if I was there, I might do this, and maybe this, and you would be holding out for hope because what we know is that in this life, every stage, every season is temporary. Everything's temporary. So it could last a hundred years, but there's hope that there will be an end. I've thought the worst part of hell is that you add together all of this. You're separated from God. You're, I mean, endless things we can mention. And the crown jewel of it all is there's no hope. You're just there. And the pronouncement, like, you're not there without hope and don't know that you're without hope. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in the concentration camps in World War II, they would say, work for freedom. And so there was the illusion of hope. People were under this false understanding that there was actually hope. But listen, when you stand before God in the judgment, one of the things God is going to do is pronounce the end of hope. But the day of the Lord, last verse, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens, the sky, will pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The works therein. I think that's talking about you know, the stuff we build. This building we go to great lengths to preserve it, but one day it's going to burn. Lost friend tonight, I believe what I'm telling you is a revelation from God. So what do I do? I tell you the final part of God's revelation. Run to him. Because there's hope in Jesus Christ. All of this, there's hope in no other. There's salvation in no other. There's no name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except Jesus. And he's a real man. And he has a real body. And he's in a real place. And he's going to come back here one day as a thief in the night. And it's all over. So what will you do? What will you do? Will you hide? Will you run? Will you do nothing? Or will you do what God has said? Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Go after him. You say, I don't know where I'm going. I'm in the darkness. Just run and grope and feel after him. Because the Bible says this, he's not far from any one of us. He sees you responding to him and he responds to you.